All right, I've got uh, right at 630. Um, can y'all hear me okay? What? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> appreciate that. <laughs> uh, appreciate everybody being here, battling through the uh, little bit of the storm. I guess we had a little few minutes ago, but uh, looks like it's good now. I just watched the weather a little bit ago. It's supposed to be nice next several days, so maybe we'll get to enjoy a holiday. That'll be great. Um, well, obviously, I'm not a summer series speaker. Y'all got me tonight, so this is it, you know. <laughs> so the, the trained, polished speakers that you've been having are done. Now you got me, okay? So just be prepared. Um, but we're going to uh, delve into a lot of things that I think will be interesting and just uh, hopefully uh, will be interesting to everybody. I, I, I want to start out just by reminding everyone of the elders' policy about masking. Obviously, I don't have mine on because I'm standing up here teaching right now, but the, the elders have chosen to implement a policy that, that I think pretty much everybody's supporting. We appreciate that about uh, wearing a mask when you come in the building and when you're going around visiting. Uh, the elders have said when we sit down, as so long as we can sort of stay far enough apart from one another, we can take our mask off when we sit down and then uh, put them back on, I guess, when we come back up to, to leave the building and visit some more. Um, so, and I, I think folks have been really good about supporting that, but but the real important thing is the goal of the policy. And the goal of the policy is to help us be able to meet together in person as long as possible and, and hopefully not miss a beat. And I think that's a great goal. So um, hopefully we'll be able to continue to do that and uh, get to enjoy one another's company. So uh, a lot of things happen in a week, though. <clears throat> uh, been lots happened this week, and we're going we're gonna to pray about several of those things. But just to orient you all a little bit in case you're not sure, if you just walked in, I know we have a few visitors here tonight. I uh, appreciate y'all being here, and uh, and whoever I didn't get to talk to who's visiting, we appreciate you being here. Um, the class tonight is the start of a new quarter, and we're going to be looking at First and Second Timothy uh, this quarter, and and it'll it'll take the whole quarter because there's a lot a lot here for us to discuss and to go over. It will be a textual study. Um, I will be going verse by verse, and but we're going to obviously look at the principles and how they might affect us and. How do we apply those principles today? You know, what, what does that really uh, look like in, in today's environment? So we're going to talk about that. I will primarily be using the New American Standard Bible. Um, you know, I'll draw from others, the ESV, and some even maybe from the KJV. So you'll hear some other versions as we go along that I'll draw from. But I'll primarily be using the New American Standard if it reads differently from what your version is. That, that's why. Uh, I have taught from different versions at different times. Um, I, I like the New American Standard for this particular set of books, so, uh, but could just as easily use another one. Uh, before we start the actual study, though, and really sort of dig in, I, I want to make uh, mention of several uh, prayer situations, things that we, we are aware of in one way or another. I, I think everybody here probably knows by now we lost Brother Billy Hambrick. And we we'll certainly want to pray for their family um, in that loss and um, and what they're going through. So, um, also want us to make mention there have been so many affected, uh, obviously by COVID. You know, in in the congregation and people we know outside the congregation that have been affected in one way or the other, and, and just the whole pandemic situation. We want to keep in our prayers. So, uh, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Afghanistan. Um, you know, 13 Americans that we know of, Marines, lost their lives this past week uh, because of that situation. And, and 
perhaps many others will or have already, and it's just a, a sad situation. So we want to keep that those folks, including the Afga Afghanistani people, in our, in our prayers. Uh, and then the hurricane that has come through. Um, I, I don't know if you all know anyone personally that suffered because of the hurricane, but there are people that are suffering. Uh, there is no doubt about that. So any other particular situation you all want us to mention in prayer tonight, I'll be glad to do that before I lead the prayer. Okay, well, let's, let's pray together. Our God and our Father, we are grateful to you for us being able to be here tonight. And uh, we are thankful if, for the folks that are here tonight or that are online tonight watching uh, this uh, class and the events of the evening. Father, we pray for each person, each family, each situation. And certainly, Father, we pray that whatever we do, we would glorify you. Father, we are, we're mindful uh, of Brother Billy Hambrick's family and, and the loss they've suffered of Billy and pray for your comfort in their situations and Father, pray that you'd, you'd be with them. Uh, well, there are many others that have lost loved ones, be it from COVID or, or other situations for that matter, but certainly COVID is on our minds much now and even if they've not lost someone, our lives have been affected by it in one way or another. We pray for each situation and Certainly pray, Father, for an end to this pandemic as soon as possible. Father, we pray for the folks that have been affected by the war in Afghanistan and certainly this past week for the families of the 13 Marines that were lost and for many others that have probably lost loved ones in this conflict and, and all the tragedy of the situation that's going on there, Father. We pray for those folks that are there, including the, the native Afghanistani people. Father, we just pray, uh, Father, for uh, the best uh, possible future going forward for them in this situation. But we do pray for so many that have lost much and have suffered and probably will suffer in, in one way or another. Father, we <clears throat> are also aware of uh, the Hurricane Ida uh, that has gone through uh, our country and, and still is causing flooding, new flooding in, in no the northern reaches of our country. But but for those that have been affected all the way from Louisiana, all the way up, Father, we pray for their situation and their difficulties in this. And certainly, Father, we want to do what we can to help uh, in those situations. Father, help us to glorify you in the way that we live and the things that we say and, and think about even. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, one of, one of the things I, I want to point out about just Bible study in general or Bible teaching in general is, you know, Bible writers really throughout the time of the Bible never really envisioned writing the Bible as something that we would just sort of learn about and put in a, in a glass case somewhere. I mean, their, their purpose in teaching, Jesus' purpose in teaching was that our lives would be different that we would do something different. And certainly 1 Timothy is like that, and I, and I want us to, to think about it in that light. I mean, all of Scripture is not just about learning it. It's also not just about what happens after we die. I mean, very much uh, of Scripture is dedicated to what we do now, how our lives can be better now, and what we need to be about now. Um, and again, First, Second Timothy very much has many principles that are like that, that we can learn about how do we need to do things differently now. 
So kind of keep that in mind as we go forward. And in first and second Timothy, it's it's not just about individuals, although although there are principles for our individual lives covered in these books. It's also about the, the congregational level of living or our assemblies even or how, how the church operates. There are things like that that are covered in these books. And, and we're going to focus on, on all of those and cover those as the scripture covers them. Uh, but, but just remember there's, there's, there's kind of two levels of focus going on in this book. And we'll see that as, as we go along. I also want to say that if you're a visitor tonight and for whatever reason you have not uh, chosen to follow God, you have not obeyed the gospel yet, we would love, I would love, any of the folks here would love to have the opportunity to sit down with you and, and just explore the scripture together. Uh, to look at, at what somebody has shared with us, we would like to share with you. We would like to, to teach about it. We would like to talk about it. We would like to read the scripture with you. Uh, so if you have that desire, please let us know. Please let us know. We, we'd love to do that. We'd love to have that opportunity. So, Also, if you've been a Christian for a while, uh, you know, we all know uh, that we can do better. I know I can. We can all do better. And hopefully First and Second Timothy will help us to do, to do that, to help us to do better as we go forward. So, uh, first question I have for you tonight. How would you feel if you knew God had spoken to you through an apostle directly to you? Think about that. How would you feel? Make sure I've got to get coordinated here with the slides. But how would you feel? Now, that's a you know, question for you just to ponder. I'm not necessarily looking, looking for a verbal answer right now, but, but I think we'd feel pretty, probably a whole host of emotions, right? I mean, you probably feel pretty special, maybe. Maybe intimidated, maybe fearful, maybe concerned, uh, blessed. I mean, I, I can just think of a whole bunch of different thoughts that we would have, either feeling or factual things that, that, that we would be if we had had that experience. Well, Timothy had that experience. You know, Timothy had that experience as a, as a young man. Uh, because he is described as being a young man. So think about yourself if, if you were in his position as we sort of read through this book. Now here's another question for you. When was the last time you preached a sermon? When was the last time you preached a sermon? Now you might think, you know, the, the people in here that speak from a pulpit might be, might be doing the calculus, you know, when, when did they speak? You know, how many weeks ago was it? Was it last weekend or was it some other weekend? Maybe it was a while before that. But, but they're probably thinking that way. Well, I, I would say that even if we never get in a pulpit, you preach a sermon. And really, you preach it, every one of us preaches it every day. Every day. And we don't think about it that way necessarily, right? But, but you do. So, so when you think about 1 Timothy and say, oh, it was a book written to a young preacher. Well, well yes, but, but a lot of us fit in that category of preaching sermons. How do we preach our sermons? What do we do? How do we do that? Well, if you're a young mother, you have young children running around you. I don't have to tell you you're preaching a sermon every day, right? 
you're very aware of who's around you and what impact you're having on them and what influence you're having on their lives. And, you know, just, just and if you haven't had this experience yet, you will. They will, they will reflect, tear it back, something to you that you said that you didn't think they heard, you know, right? <laughs> but, but you hear, they hear you. They see you. Of course, it's not just them, right? I mean, it's at school. It's at work. People, people see you. Even if, it, even if your work has restriction on you where you can't talk about anything religious at work, well, you still are talking about things that are religious because people see how you lived. And they, they may say, well, you know, it's pretty incriminating in a bad way how this person lives. Or maybe it's incriminating in a, in a good way way if you can do that but but maybe you're a, a really good example of what it means to be a Christian well you're preaching a sermon you're definitely preaching a sermon maybe maybe the most effective sermon there can be and you're preaching it it goes on and on you know if you listen if you if you sit down with a, a Christian brother or sister or, or, or not a Christian brother and sister but somebody you're making a contact with and you and you just listen to them and you just befriend them, and and you talk through the things that they're dealing with with them. You're preaching a sermon. So, so again, let me just remind you: this is not just a book that we can say, "Okay, well, that's for preachers," and I'm not a preacher, therefore it's not for me. No, it is for you. It is for me. It is for all of us. So, so keep that in mind also as as we sort of go along here. Um, you know, obviously, when you share the gospel with somebody, you're preaching a sermon. But, uh, but there are a lot of other times you preach sermons. All right, another question, or a series of questions, I guess. Do you show kindness? Do you show joy? Do you show peace in your life? Do you show patience, goodness, gentleness? Do you show self-control? What about love? Do you show love as you live? The reason I point to this is because one of, one of the purposes of this book, Paul says the goal of our instruction. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, he says the goal of our instruction is what? Love. Love from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. The goal of our instruction. So that's, that's pretty important. And I think that we need to keep that in mind as we sort of think through this book and work through the verses in this book. You know, one of his goals is to teach us about, about love. And then, and then, of course, another big goal, 1 Timothy chapter 3, I believe it's verse 15. Yeah, 15. Says, I, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. As I mentioned to you earlier, uh, congregational issues are addressed in this book, and, and we'll be looking at that. So again, you've got sort of both going on. You've got an individual focus, and then you've got some things about uh, what do we do as congregations, and how do we uh, work, how do things function. So, so, so let's dig in. Uh, open your Bibles if you're not already there. First Timothy chapter one. Uh, this is kind of an overview of where we're going tonight. Just touching on a few of the subjects we'll touch on tonight. 
but, uh, but we'll start in, in chapter 1. So let's, let's talk about the introduction, just to read the first couple of verses. I, I use an electronic Bible. Um, I think many of you do, but all of you don't, but that's, that's what this is using for me. So it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of our God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So who is writing to who? Well, pretty obvious, right? Paul is writing to Timothy. But, but what do we know about, about Paul? You know, let's think about a little bit about Paul is, is at this point in his life is, is an older man. Now, it hits home, but he's about the same age I am now. Okay? Uh, but, but anything you read about him talks about him being an older man. Well, in that day and age, probably 60, 62, 63, probably was an older man. So um, I don't think of myself that way. Do you think of yourselves that way? Do any of you guys that are that age think of yourselves that way? Uh, but he, he was an older person, certainly in the society they were in. And Timothy, on the other end, was a younger man. Uh, obviously still learning, still gaining experiences in life, still having things to, to understand about Spiritual spirituality and, and how to live your life better, all those sorts of things. But but Paul had always what grown up as a Jew. He had always been a Jew. At some point, he became a Christian, you know. But but that was his background. Timothy had a Jewish mother and grandmother, but but had a Greek father, so had a a little bit different sort of um, early time in his life in terms of where his ancestry was from. Now let's talk about when and where this book was written. Um, the when, uh, the thinking is it probably was uh, about A.D. 63, six, maybe 64. 64 was when the fire was in Rome and afterwards Christianity was illegal. Uh, but before this was when they think First Timothy was written. Now Second Timothy is very much written from a Roman prison. And uh, after uh, Christianity is declared illegal in the Roman Empire. So um, that's kind of the time frame we're looking at. Uh, where? Uh, was it written? Not totally clear. Uh, some scholars think that Paul was in Macedonia uh, at the point that he wrote. But, but the point that we do know is that Timothy is told to do what? To remain in Ephesus. So he's in Ephesus. Ephesus is important. Why? Because Paul spent a lot of time there. Uh, it looks like from Scripture he probably spent about three years there, which three years in, in their lives was, was a lot of time in one location. And, and he spent about three years there and, and we know that Timothy apparently was there. He was told to remain there. Even more personal about this book, though, can, can one of you all tell me what is the relationship between Paul and Timothy? What is their relationship? It's not a blood relationship. What is their relationship? Paul considers him his son in the faith. Paul converted him, right? Uh, you know, he calls him my true child, right? And right, think about this. Think about anyone you have ever shared the gospel with. Do you remember them? Oh, yeah. I remember them. And I remember if they responded to the gospel or not, right? Think about who shared the gospel with you. Do you remember them? Do you remember who baptized you? I bet 99.9% .9 of you do. And why? 
because it's a it's a personal relationship. I mean, it's a it's a personal contact that that really there's nothing else quite like it. So so when Paul addresses Timothy as my true child in the faith, well, they, you know, it's more than him just addressing another person who maybe is a young preacher somewhere, right? It's a very personal relationship, and and you see that sort of as you go along because his encouragement to him to not ignore uh, the gifts that he has. I think almost, you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm overreading it, but but he connotes a, a more personal relationship, and I and I think I think you see that in this in this book. So again, another background of, of what's in this. So at the very least, I think we could look at this letter as being one of the most personal sorts of letters in Scripture. Um, skipped one here. Look with me now. Uh, look at verses three through seven. As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus. Saying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. I want to stop there. So Paul gives him some instructions. What's the first thing he says? Remain at Ephesus, right? Okay, why? Why, do, why does he tell them to remain at Ephesus? What's the next thing he says? First uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 through 7. I think what your Bible say, what does your Bible say? Okay. Well, 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 mine doesn't say what Second Timothy does right here either. So <laughs> that's a good one. Okay. Uh, all right. We're in First First Timothy, and we're in chapter one. Okay. All right. Uh, so so he tells him to remain at Ephesus, and one of the first things he tells him to do is what? Be aware of the false, of the false teachers. Right. Address these people who are teaching strange doctrines. You know, he's saying, address them. He's saying, instruct them not to teach strange doctrines. Now, strange. Strange is a term that, you know, you have to think contextually and look at it and how it's used here. Certainly in, in another context, in Leviticus chapter 10, when uh, Nadab and Abihu offer a strange fire, what does the Bible go on to say the strange fire is? That which was not commanded, Right? Okay, it was a strange fire. But I think that principle probably applies here also. Even though very different context, very different setting, but strange doctrines would be what? Those doctrines that have not been taught by, by God. And, and I think that would fit. He also tells him to avoid worthless things. What are the examples he gives of worthless things? What does your version say? Uh, Wayne, maybe not what your version says. Okay. <laughs> What does your version say are, are some of the worthless things he tells them to avoid? Yeah, myths and endless genealogies, right? Tells them to avoid those things. Now, I don't know about you, but I can think of some examples of worthless things today. Now, they were they were worthless then too, but they're worthless today. You know, I don't I don't know many people that necessarily believe in myths, although they, they do, they just don't call them that. But um, 
and endless genealogies. I don't know many people that sit around and talk about their genealogies. I can understand why Jews might have done that in their day and time. But, but what about, do you know anybody that talks about controversies endlessly? Seemingly just for the sake of talking about the controversy? Not necessarily seeming to try to get to a conclusion, but just talking about the controversy. Seems like some people thrive on that. Well, you know, if you're constructively trying to reach a conclusion and constructively trying to help somebody in their spiritual life, that's one thing. But if you're just sort of doing it just to have something to talk about, no, worthless. Biblical ideas, biblical teachings are not there just for the sake of discussion. They're there to make a difference in our lives. I think the other thing that I hear in terms of worthless things is definitions. Sometimes people talk about definitions of words that maybe don't fit the context, that don't fit the situation that's being discussed or looked at. Or they're using a definition from a, a modern setting that doesn't necessarily apply to the time that that scripture was written, but yet they want to apply it. Well, that, that's an error, right? A problem, uh, but, but it becomes thereby a worthless thing. Here's another worthless thing I think of. Uh, When someone teaches incessantly about something that is not an issue amongst the congregation that they're part of or the people they're speaking to. I I can't name a good example off the top of my head, but, but those kinds of issues exist. Sometimes people can go on and on and on about an issue that's just not an issue. Now, it's not worthless if if you're in the right context and somebody needs to be taught about it. But if everybody you're talking to has kind of already got it, they already got it. And and, and you can uh, be out of balance, I guess, in terms of what you speak about. And that can become worthless or not as effective as you could be otherwise. Here's another one. Methodology. Sometimes people argue incessantly about methodology. Well, getting the best, most effective method is important. But if all you do is argue and talk about the methodology and you never get to the work, you've not used your time well. Right? I mean, God's not going to be pleased with us if all we do is sit around and talk about doing something. He's going to be pleased with us if we do what? We do it. Right? We're engaged in the work and we're actually doing kingdom work. You can really talk a good thing even to death and never do it. So... You know, we need to check ourselves, right? Well, am I one of those people? You know, Robert Moon, do you do that? Unfortunately, sometimes I have to say yes. Sometimes I do that. Sometimes I want to talk something to death rather than just doing it. And and the doing it is, is what it's about. It's, that's why it's there. That's why, that's why we're taught about it. So we, every one of us needs to ask ourselves, you know, if we're focused on worthless things or not. But So here's the opposite question. A long time ago, somebody taught me, said sometimes you can define what something is by defining what it's not. What's not worthless? What would y'all describe as not worthless? Amen, brother. The gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Sharing that gospel, living that gospel, radiating that gospel. Absolutely. What else? What else is not worthless? You mean being involved with the congregation, Daniel? I want to make sure I'm getting it right. Doesn't involve being involved, but also keeping it in your life. I mean, that's the way you 
Daniel makes the point it's important to be involved with the congregation to have it in your life. And it's important for it to be in your life and you to be in its life, right? Yeah, very good point. And we could go on and on about different aspects of the gospel. Going back to what Mark said earlier, living out the gospel is important. But living it out, again, not putting it in a, in a glass case somewhere, but, but no, we want to learn it. We want it in our head, but we want it in our head for what? For the purpose of living it out, right? And, and being about that, you know. Again, love. You know, what, did, what did Paul say earlier in verse 5? He said, the goal of our instruction is what? Love. Well, love can be manifested in different ways. Turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been fathered by God and knows God. The person who does not love does not know God because God is love. I don't want to blur that over as some glossy thing just as, oh, that's all there is to it. No, that's not what I mean. But, but it is true that love is very important. Uh, for it, you see it again, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. If I speak with the tongues, this is just a piece of that. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now having said that, let's be a little more specific about it though. You can express love to somebody when you do what? When you share the gospel with them. You're, you're telling them what? You're telling them that you love them. You, you, you care enough about them that you know they need the gospel. And you know they need to be taught about the gospel. Well, that's, that's love. You know, when, when you help a brother or sister that's suffering through something, be it physical or mental or whatever, what are you doing? You're, you're showing them love. You're showing them that you care about them. Um, when you help a small child who's in, the Bible class teachers are in Bible class right now. Some of you may be here to teach on Sunday morning. When you're teaching those children, you're doing what? You're showing your love. You care for them and, and, and how they do. When you take care of the poor, what are you doing? You're showing love. You're showing concern. So that love can be manifested in, in a, lot of, a lot of different ways. When you're praising God, when we're together and we're worshiping the Lord, hey, it's beautiful. And I hope we can continue to do it forever. But what are you doing? You're showing love to what? To who? You're showing love to God. You love and appreciate what He has done in your life and what He has done for so many. And, and that's love. So when Paul says the goal of our instruction is love, it's not fuzzy. It's not you know just a glowing thing to just sort of cover everything and, and not be anything specific. No, there are specifics. But Paul does that fairly often. He may use a word that actually is referencing, uh, he uses a single word that conveys a, a lot bigger thought or a lot bigger idea. You see that when he uses words like grace and faith and other words that Paul uses, but it's true here with love also. And so love is, is more than just this, this feeling thing. It's, it's much more than that. And we need to keep that in mind. I, I do want to move on. We've got a, a little bit more time. Let's look at verses 8 through 11. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious. 
for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for, or, for murderers, and immoral men, and homosexuals, and kidnappers, and liars, and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which I, with which I have been entrusted. Those verses say a lot. Let me ask you a general question. You know, so tell me why I need to understand a little bit about the Old Testament. Tell me why. We're not under, we today are not under that system of laws, but, but I need to know something about it. Why? What would you tell me why I need to know something about the Old Testament? I'm sorry, who said better understand than you? Is that you, John? Okay, yeah. John said so that we can better understand the New Testament. Excellent point. Why else? Why else should we know something about the Old Testament? Daniel. Amen, brother. So, so really over and over again, over and over again, there's foreshadowing, there's uh, imagery, there's symbols, there's representation of things in the old that what point to the new. And, and we can learn more because of that, right? You know, somebody may ask you, you, you need to know more about the Old Testament because somebody may ask you that question. Somebody may say, well, we're still under the Ten Commandments, right? Well, how do you handle that question? Well, you need to know something about the Old Testament and how it compares and contrasts to the New and which Testament we're really under today and why that's true and, and what parts of the Ten Commandments really still apply you know, and really still are part of or repeated in the New Testament. Those, those things exist. Um, you know, How do we use the Old Testament lawfully, as Paul says here? Well, I think, I think what Daniel said just alluded to it a little bit. Right, We need to use it. And John said a minute ago, I think we need to lawfully understand the Old Testament in that what it does, it leads us to the new. It shows us examples. It teaches us about things that we see fulfilled in the new. Uh, but there is a lawful way to use the Old Testament. Jesus used it, certainly, multiple times. He referred back to um, passages in the Old Testament that depicted or expanded upon or provided the basis of what he was teaching and what he was talking about. So, um, <clears throat> you know, in this passage, Paul just sort of mentions the law briefly. He goes into it, as I said earlier, a lot of times he will do that. He'll use a phrase or a word that really to unpack what he's saying, you have to do a lot more study. And, and, and that's true here when he talks about using the Old Testament law fully. Uh, think about Galatians 3. Uh, the one I wrote down was Galatians 3.24. What Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. So the Old Testament had a role. And tutor, I know some versions say schoolmaster, but, but certainly it was, it was part of helping us get to Christ. So we use it lawfully in that we recognize it as a tutor, even though it is not a system of law that we're under today. 
we can recognize what it has done. You know, the other thing that I would point out is the Old Testament articulates what is sin. Now, early on in the Bible, the Old Testament described in detail what was not pleasing to God. Um, lots of places you can look at for that. I know um, Romans 7.13 is the verse I wrote down here. It says, Therefore did that which is good become a cause of, of death for me. May it never be. And here he's referring to the old law. It says, Rather it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sinful by effecting my death through that which is good so that through the commandment sin would become utterly sinful. It was part of pointing this out to us. It was part of helping us to understand what was not pleasing to God. And it was part of demonstrating what sin what sin is. Uh, another point in understanding the law and using the Old Testament lawfully, it says although we're not under law as a system, many of the moral aspects of law are articulated, even in this passage, there's some of the things that are articulated that are part of the old law. You know, killing fathers and mothers, uh, murderers, uh, immoral men is the term that's used, and homosexuals are specifically condemned in this passage. Now, it uses one term though, kidnappers. Kidnappers. Other versions use other words. What other word do you have other than kidnapper? Say again. Men stealers? Okay, men stealers. What else? Enslavers, right? Another word? Traffickers, right? All good words in the sense of describing what it's getting at here. You know, slavery is, is basically the, the people that conduct it, that deal with it here, is what? It is condemned. Now, slavery existed, and there, we can talk a lot about Old Testament law relative to that and everything, but uh, think, I, I wanted to share with you there are other words that are used other than kidnappers in here, and most of them revolve around slavery. Uh, the ESV and the KJV use enslavers. Uh, the, the new New American Standard Bible, or just a, the one I use is the 1995 version. There, there's one that just came out in 2020, and it uses the term slave traders, uh, which might be even more meaningful to us today with the words that we use. But, but also these verses say what? It says whatever else is contrary to sound teaching according to the gospel. So whatever opposes sound teaching, whatever else it is, and obviously he's just sort of hitting a few things here, right? There are many other things that could be talked about. But anything that opposes the gospel is condemned in no uncertain terms. So obviously, when you say the, way, the word he uses is according to the gospel, be careful how you answer this question. Are there more or less laws in the New Testament compared to the Old? What would you say? Jesus summed it all into one. Is that what you said? Love. Okay. All right. Okay. 
All your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Right now, and and but but saying that, we also recognize that those phrases again are are packed with meaning, right? I mean, when we say that, we say love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that may mean what I I help them when they're poor. It may mean that I teach them the gospel. It may mean a lot of other things, right? So, but yes, there those are obviously Jesus said them. They're right, okay? They're right and and appropriate and 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 help summarize it. I would say that the New Testament. Maybe not numerically has more, but it has more stringent law. And the reason I say that is this, is because the New Testament does what? Scripture cuts to the bone. It cuts to your motivation. Think about the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount again and again goes back to what? It goes back to your motivation and what you're doing. And, and motivation was important in the Old Testament. I do not want to... some. Some will say, well, you know, it was just laws and people just had to do the law. No, God never accepted that. God always wanted people's hearts, even under the Old Testament. I just think we're challenged even more in the new. You know, think about Hebrews says, well, you know, we've got this great cloud of witnesses around us. We've got the revealed word from Jesus. We've got revealed word from the apostles. And we, we ought to have this kind of down better than we do, right? And so I think in many ways the New Testament is much more challenging than the Old in that regard, even though we don't necessarily think of it as 600 and some odd laws. No, I think of it as, as much more here in cutting to what my motivation is, what my thoughts are about why I do what I do. You know, uh, none of us can know why the other person does what they do. We think we know, we, we do, but we don't really know. Who knows? That person that person may be you or that person may be somebody else. But the two people that know are that person and who? God. They're the only ones that really know. So, so that's a pretty, pretty high bar in terms of making sure we're striving to be pleasing to God. Alright. Um, I will touch just briefly on this because I know we're about out of time. Has there been one bell yet? There's just been one bell. Okay. All right, we'll look at verses 12 through 17. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of, and I'm stressing and because it'll be important. We'll talk about it in a little bit. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. God blessed Paul in spite of his past. 
God blesses us in spite of our past. I may not have done what Paul did, but I've done other things. And God's blessed me in spite of that. We're going to look at a lot more relative to this. I particularly encourage you to stress in your reading verses 13 and 14. We're going to look at this idea of what was involved when when, uh, Paul says, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. So we'll pick up in verse 12 and kind of reread it again next week to start us out, but then we'll dig in from there. Thank you. Thank you all so much for engaging tonight.